From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Segregation in recreation at a time of deep racial divide in the country. Lincoln Hills was significant for the growing black middle class in Denver, but because it was one of only a handful of resorts like it in the United States, it also attracted black luminaries from across the nation. It was a place of refuge for African-Americans to enjoy the great outdoors and briefly escape the stress of racism. But for one Coloradan, the story of the historic resort is deeply personal. Where we stand today is the gateway cabin into Lincoln Hills, built by my great-grandfather. And now it's been designated a National Historic Landmark. We revisit Lincoln Hills. Are you planning to take advantage of Colorado's supercharged EV discounts? If you're in the market for a new electric car, consider donating your old one to Colorado Public Radio. You get a new car, we get your old car. And the proceeds from your tax-deductible donation mean we all get great programming. Find the title, fill out a simple online form, and schedule a pickup. It's that easy to donate your car at CPR.org slash support. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. In 1922, at a time of deep racial segregation in the United States, two Denverites realized their dream of building a resort in the Rocky Mountains for African Americans from Colorado and from across the country to socialize with each other and, for a time, escape the stress of racism. They called it Lincoln Hills. At the time, the mountain retreat in Gilpin County was one of only three such vacation resorts in the entire country where African Americans could legally buy land or rent cabins. And now it's been designated a National Historic Landmark. For Black History Month, we take you back on a personal tour of the Zephyr View Cabin in Lincoln Hills from 2022. The property has been in retired Denver County Judge Gary Jackson's family for nearly the entire century. Then state historian Jared Orsi joined us on our walk on a crisp Sunday morning. We are at my family cabin that was built starting about 1926 by my great-grandfather, William Pitts, who was the son of a slave master and an enslaved woman. He learned how to read and write. He learned the trade of carpentry. This was in Missouri. And uh, in 1919, he came to Colorado because his eldest son, was injured in a World War I Army incident, mm-hmm. and he was gassed. So he was at Fitzsimmons Army Medical Hospital. So my great-grandfather came to Colorado to visit him, discovered that Colorado had more opportunities for black people than he had in Missouri. So uh, while he was in Colorado, he purchased property in Lincoln Hills, where we are today, as well as in North Cherry Creek. He built three homes in North Cherry Creek, He built several cabins in Lincoln Hills, and I'm going to show you pictorially information regarding my great-grandfather, William Pitts. This particular location is 31 Pitts Place. Mm. So the location of my cabin is on the street named after my great-grandfather. And for those who don't know, can you explain what Lincoln Hills is? 
Lincoln Hills was established in 1922. It was incorporated by two developers. It was called the Lincoln Hills Country Club Development Incorporated. It was meant to be a black resort area for black people from across the nation, but it was also an opportunity to buy mountain lots to build your own home. And so there were flyers that were sent out throughout the country. There was advertisement in Ebony and Jet and in the various black newspapers letting black people from across the country know that there was this opportunity in Colorado and in 1922, Lincoln Hills was the only black-owned resort area west of the Mississippi. And from what I understand, it was featured in the Green Book, which was the inspiration for the Academy Award-winning movie. Well, that is correct. So it was featured in the Green Book. Uh, Wink's Lodge, Wink's Tavern were all featured in the Green Book. Historically, there was another black-owned resort area in California, mm. Manhattan Beach, but it only lived from 1910 until 1912, when the city council condemned the property and took it away from the black owners. That's how Lincoln Hills became the only black-owned resort area west of the Mississippi. Before we get into the pictures, Jared, set the stage for us. Can you kind of describe what you're seeing right now in terms of this cabin we're in right now? Sure. This cabin was built uh, almost 100 years ago. Judge Jackson has a set of historical photographs and documents on the wall to show us here. And one of the important things about Lincoln Hills is that it's very well documented, so we can know a fair amount about its history. That's also part uh, due to the efforts of people like Judge Jackson, who have made efforts to restore Wink's Lodge um, and cabins like Zephyr View. Now it's very modernized. Right yes. now you see microwave. Yes. Obviously. Um, Large flat screen TV. Yes. <laughs> but you also can tell the significance in the history by looking around and just kind of seeing the kind of the quaintness of it. As we speak, historian Orsi notices an old worn sign posted over the cabin's bathroom door. I'm looking over your head behind you at a closed door, and above the door is a sign that says Colored Restroom, um, a relic from a sad time when public facilities would have been segregated. Judge Jackson tells us it's an original, handed down by family members who migrated from Missouri to Colorado in 1919. As we turn our attention to more pictures on the wall, something else catches historian Orsi's eye. Well, looking above us also, if you look at these beams, these beams are from the original cabin. Wow. And so these beams reflect the handicraft of my great-grandfather. He would have had to cut down the trees. He would have had to refinish those beams. And he would have had to install those beams manually. These beams are probably about eight feet high mm. uh, above the ceiling. But if we look at the photographs, you can see the original foundation of the cabin. And uh, looking at the wall, there's a photograph of my great-grandfather in the coat and tie and with a uh, hat on his head. It looks like a fedora. There are about five workers. He would have been supervising the building of the foundation of her cabin. This would have been between, let's say, 1926 and 1928. It took to build the cabin. It took that long because the cabin was basically only available because of the dirt roads and because of the heavy stones. 
it was only available to uh, workers and visitors between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Mm. If we go down further and look at additional photographs, there's another photograph of the foundation. As you can see, it, it's basically wooden stilts that the cabin was built on. And then if we go further, looking at one of the photographs, you can see that those wooden stilts were surrounded by river rock. So the foundation, rather than concrete or steel, was wood and river rock as the foundation. Further down, this is a photograph of my grandparents. Wow. So that's Paris Monroe and Elizabeth Pitt Scott and my uncle Pam. Looking at another photograph, it's a photograph of my grandparents, Elizabeth and Paris. And there are two vehicles. They look like vehicles probably wow. in the 30s that they would have come up to the cabin in these two vehicles. Just in back of the two vehicles, you can see about six family members. And then this is a photograph of a handwritten letter that my great-grandfather, William Pitts, sent to his family in Missouri and Illinois in his own handwriting. This is a letter to his wife and daughter encouraging them that if he builds them a home in Denver as well as a home in Lincoln Hills, a cottage in Lincoln Hills, that they should move from Missouri and Illinois to Colorado. Wow. And it's signed, Papa. In the letter, we learned that Judge Jackson's family has roots in Denver's Cherry Creek community. That was the very first home that he built in North Cherry Creek, 360 <laughs> oh, wow. Garfield Street. The second home that he built was 354 Garfield Street. So the 360 is the one that he lived in initially. Uh -huh. The 354 Garfield Street address is where my grandmother and her husband lived when they moved from Chicago, Illinois to Denver. You can see that this was written in about May of 1926. And then wow. here is the flyer. This is the flyer, a typewritten flyer, that William Pitts addressed 360 Garfield Street. He says that he is a builder from McBain, Missouri, near Columbia, was born a slave and became the original builder in the Lincoln Hills Country Club subdivision. He built three cottages in the subdivision that will stand today. The Zephyrview Cabin on South Beaver Creek Road at Pitts Place is one of his creations. And so in this flyer, which is signed by him, dated February 1st, 1928. Wow. It says that he is an early Lincoln Hills cottage builder. And what he says to those that are receiving this flyer, most all my life, I've been a carpenter and a builder since I came to Colorado. I've been employed as such in many of the mountain resorts built and populated by white people. An opportunity was offered me to purchase lots in Lincoln Hills but before doing so, I made a thorough examination of the property, looking into the character of the men behind the proposition and mm. assuring myself that the title to the property was clear and that they gave a warranty deed. The price asked for the lot seemed so ridiculously low that I feared the site must be inferior to others. <laughs> but to my great surprise, I found it to be the most beautiful mountain subdivision that I had ever visited. I bought two lots 
and built my cottage. And since that time, I've purchased two more lots upon which I will build a cottage to rent. It has been through my recommendation that many of my relatives and friends have purchased lots. Please inform those who wish to build that I'm in a position to furnish estimates and take contracts for building these summer homes for our people. Sincerely yours, William Pitts. Awesome. His lot that he purchased in 1926 was for $40. Wow. The lot was 25 by 50 feet. So that was the size of the lot. Back in those days, there were 1,700 lots available for black people to buy. 1,100 were purchased. But sadly, only 15 or 20 lots were actually built on. So where we stand today is the gateway cabin into Lincoln Hills, wow. built by my great-grandfather. Jared, how does it feel just to kind of take this all in in person? It's kind of a dream come true. I've been <laughs> I saw you smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been studying Lincoln Hills, you know, for my classes and with my colleagues for 20 years. Lincoln Hills has shifted this morning in my mind from something that existed in books and on paper and in photographs to something that I can stand in and just take in. So it's a great pleasure to be here. Well, there's a saying where people say, this is my jam. And this sounds like this is your jam. This is my jam, <laughs> for sure. Now, on this wall, what you're looking at is a proclamation from Gilpin County. This was a proclamation that was adopted on September 20th, 2022, mm -hmm. by the Gilpin County County Commissioners and the Gilpin County Historic Preservation Commission, designating Zephyrview Cabin and my great-grandfather as an historic builder, no, as an historic building, and him as a creative builder of the cabin. So this particular proclamation that we're looking at was signed by the three county commissioners, and it's dated September 20th, 2022. Wow. The actual designation of the cabin as an historic cabin occurred in November 17th, 2020. Awesome. Okay, let's walk around. What we have done for the cabin, and this goes back to when the cabin was built and when it was utilized by family members from let's say 1926 to present day, is we have photographs of the historic members of our family with people of prominence across the United States. One of the photographs that you're seeing up in the corner is Tuskegee Airmen. I have a cousin, Harris Robnett, who was one of the early Tuskegee Airmen from Colorado. I'm advised that he was about 19 years of age when he enlisted in the Army uh, and became a member of the Tuskegee Airmen. So I have a photograph of him uh, with the airplane that he flew in. And explain for us who are the Tuskegee Airmen. The Tuskegee Airmen was a group of black fighter pilots. They were fighter pilots during World War II. They were involved in basically protecting the bombers that were bombing different sites in North Africa as well as Europe. And so the Tuskegee Airmen uh, were trained in Tuskegee, Alabama. And um, 
they got their prominence basically because, well, one of the reasons was Eleanor Roosevelt. She came down during World War II to see where these airmen were, were being trained, and she got into an airplane and flew with one of the airmen to show that these guys were proficient, safe, and had the courage and the ability to fight in World War II. And um, we should note that the story of the Tuskegee Airmen has been told in many forms, documentaries, and theatrical films, but one of the more famous ones is Red Tails. Can I add some historical context for our listeners Absolutely. here? Absolutely, that was my next question. So <laughs> Judge Jackson and his family are continuing a long Lincoln Hills tradition. So Lincoln Hills was significant for the growing black middle class in Denver, but because it was one of only a handful of resorts like it in the United States, it also attracted black luminaries from across the nation. So uh, visitors here included people like Lena Horne and Count Basie and Duke Ellington. So the stories that you were just telling here are continuing a hundred-year-old tradition of families with cabins and homes in Lincoln Hills being connected to important figures across the nation. Judge Jackson tells us that before and after performing in Colorado, often in Denver's historically Black Five Points community, many Black celebrities made the long drive to Lincoln Hills to stay at Wink's Panorama, also known as Wink's Lodge. The three-story building had six guest rooms, a bathroom on its upper floor, and even a honeymoon suite visited by iconic entertainer Lena Horne. Wink's Lodge was built by an original Lincoln Hills landowner by the name of Aubrey Wendell Wink's Hamlet in 1925. It was the gathering spot, the hub. Some might call it a juke joint. Simply put, it was the place to be. And the parties, well, they were epic. Entertainers weren't the only ones who regularly visited Lincoln Hills or Wink's Lodge. It also attracted some of the leading Black intellectuals of the time. And my understanding is that there were also some speakeasies very reminiscent of the Harlem Renaissance that went well into the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> well, that's correct. And those people were people like Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes. They were visitors to Lincoln Hills. They typically stayed at Wink's Lodge or one of the cabins uh, in the Wink's Lodge complex. Another luminary was Whitney Young, our very first black urban league director. He visited Lincoln Hills. Typically, it would have been on a trip to Aspen where he would go to, for a think tank in Aspen, but he would recreate in Lincoln Hills. Wink's Lodge was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1980. Back in the cabin, we turn around, and behind us is a small table surrounded by chairs. Judge Jackson tells us that this area is known as the game room, 
a place in the cabin that, to this day, he and his family gather with friends to talk and laugh and play games like chess, checkers, and card games like Bid Wiz and, of course, Spades, a game of historic significance in the African-American community. In this game room, we have a record player that will play uh, 78 records. Wow. We have many of the record albums that I've been accumulating since uh, probably 1963 when I went to college. So we've got a, a number of, of those records, and they go from the Ohio players to Ramsey Lewis to Ray Charles. Let's have some fun. You only live but once. And when you're dead, you're done. So let the good time roll. I say let the good time roll. I don't care if you're young or old. You ought to get together and let the good time roll. One of the things I like also on the wall is a plaque that I received from the Sam Carey Bar Association. I was one of the founders of the Sam Carey Bar Association in 1971, which is the Bar Association for Black Judges and Attorneys in Colorado, the Vanguard Bar Association for all affinity bars. But that's a plaque that was given to me as a founder when we were celebrating our 25th anniversary. We are now celebrating our 51st anniversary this year. So if we go into the next room, which is a part of the extension, we have two bedrooms. Uh, In the bedroom, uh, we also have plaques and memorial type of objects. And then uh, into the next room is a nice bathroom uh, and shower. So uh, by adding these two bedrooms, it allows our family to continue its living in Gilpin County. We've lived in Gilpin County 96 years. It is our hope that we can live, recreate, and enjoy Gilpin County for the next 100 years with this extension. From the game room, historian Orsi points to the nearby sliding glass doors that lead to an outdoor deck. Here we learn how and where the Zephyrview Cabin got its name. Judge Jackson, can you talk about what's out here through the uh, doors and the view that you have and its connection to the name of the cabin? This is a deck that extends the whole length of the cabin from south to north. We can sit on the deck and we can look at South Boulder Creek, where there's a lot of fly fishing done, but also there's the railroad track. And on that railroad track, The California Zephyr goes from Denver to California, passes by our cabin twice a day. So in 1974, my uncle John Scott named the cabin the Zephyr View Cabin. My dad, who we talked about during his days after being in the military, he was a technical illustrator. So he painted the signage, Zephyr View, that is posted at the top of our cabin. So that signage has been there since 1974. And so what we are seeing are beautiful aspen trees, pine trees, spruce trees, the mountainside, South Boulder Creek, and the railroad track, which the Zephyrview train uh, goes by twice a day. That railroad is really important here historically. It explains why Lincoln Hills is here as opposed to someplace else. So uh, 
Wink's Hamlet would sometimes come down to the railroad and pile people who were coming up for the day or the weekend into his wagon and then haul them up the hill to their cabins or to uh, Wink's Lodge. And what's interesting about this is that Americans across the nation were becoming more interested in travel and outdoor recreation as a result of the expanding railroad network in the late 19th and early 20th century. And it was considered at the time widely to be a white phenomenon. And Lincoln Hills and its presence near the railroad and the degree to which black people flocked to the area via the railroad gave lie to that myth that African Americans weren't interested in gorgeous aspens and full creeks and fishing and having fun outdoors. By now the clouds of morning have dissipated, making way for the beaming Colorado sun and the beautiful trees flocked with marigold and burnt orange leaves are swaying in the wind. We get a sense of the natural beauty that kept hundreds of families flocking to Lincoln Hills for more than a century. I see on the deck there's a sign that says, Life is good at the cabin. <laughs> that is correct. And has always been good at the cabin. One of the things I can honestly say is that the cabin is a magical place. There have been absolutely no negative situations that have occurred to me at the cabin since I've been coming to the cabin beginning in 1945. Lincoln Hills, what does that name mean to you, Judge Jackson? What it means to me is um, magical. It means to me perseverance, courage, ingenuity, peacefulness. Those are how I would describe Lincoln Hills. Now, Jared, when you hear the story of Lincoln Hills, what comes to mind? A community that was insistent on enjoying human pleasures of family and vacation and nature, despite the obstacles that it faced in 1920s and 1930s Denver. When you think back on your work, Judge Jackson, of trying to raise awareness and educate people, what is it that you want people to walk away with in their understanding of the significance of Lincoln Hills? Well, I think the significance is two things. First of all, Gilpin County and the white community and why this particular white community was so welcoming to black people coming to this community by train and by car. Because on the way to Lincoln Hills, going through Wonderview, we could not stop at Wonderview. Wonderview was a place that would not serve black people. So there were town sites that were not welcoming, but... Uh, Lincoln Hills was a welcoming community. And I look at Lincoln Hills as being a place of our own. Um, this was a place, as uh, Jared indicated, black people could recreate, black people could own property, black people could live the American dream. And I look at our family as living the American dream. We had a home in North Cherry Creek and we had a cottage in Lincoln Hills. And why is it important for people to know that? I know that, you know, we hear a lot of the discussions about Jim Crow and 
being kept out of opportunity, but why is it important for people to know that there was a thriving black community that was able to purchase homes and enjoy nature, despite some beliefs that this was not part of the African-American experience? Well, let me give you an example. Sam Carey, who our Black Bar Association is named after, who in 1926, as the result of KKK influence, was disbarred as a lawyer for a nine-year period of time. Sam Carey has a cabin on the mountainside 200 yards south of us. My great-grandfather would have been involved in helping him build his cabin. So he would have been one of the most prominent black lawyers in Colorado. We had people such as Elvin Caldwell, who was our first black manager of safety in Denver. He would bring his children and wife up to Lincoln Hills to be able to recreate. Uh, I have interviewed Pam Greer, Foxy Brown, in the <laughs> movies. Her the famous mother, 70s movies her, and beyond. Her mother would come up to Lincoln Hills to uh, enjoy uh, the mountainside, enjoy Wink's Tavern. So it was an area that was available to our black middle class, an area that allowed our black middle class to live the American dream. To me, the American dream is uh, being able to fish, hunt, snowshoe, canoe, barbecue in a place that we were safe and comfortable. So the early founding documents and correspondence of the founders describe Lincoln Hills with words like monument and model. And so I think they envisioned it not only as a place for enjoyment by the black community, but also as a place that would make visible to the rest of America the achievement of black Americans. And it would show off the ingenuity and the construction and engineering skills and the investment prowess and the intellectual vigor um, through conversations with and about the works of people like Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes. And so this was something of a model that would show off the best of what it meant to be black and middle class in early 20th century America. But I would say um, another thing that stood out in reading about Lincoln Hills is that this was an escape, just like anybody wants to escape from a busy week or just, you know, enjoy the holidays. But it was also deeper because it was a way of taking a break or escaping from segregation and just the stress of being, you know, many times treated as a non-citizen or some would say second-class citizen, um, do you know much about that? Did, was there any discussion about what it meant to just kind of be away from that feeling and to, as you mentioned, rec recreate with people like yourself? Lincoln Hills has been described as a shelter from harsh times. Mm. And I can look at my grandparents. My granddad worked in an, a, a slaughterhouse. So that was backbreaking, dirty work. Uh, uh, that he would have to do during the week. 
my grandmother, who had the degree to teach in schools, in black schools in Missouri, was not allowed to teach in the public schools here in Denver. So she worked as a salad lady at the VA. Once again, harder type of labor. So the cabin for my grandparents was a shelter from harsh times. The harshness of the work that they had to do five days a week to be able to come up to the cabin on a Friday and to be able to stay until Sunday and to be able to have some peacefulness, be able to recreate, to be able to reinvigorate, to go back to the harsh times that they had at their jobs. Now, Jared, you joined us on Colorado Matters fairly recently as our state historian, and part of our discussion was about racism in public lands. Can you comment on how that all fits into this story? Yeah, sure. So um, the best example here is Estes Park at the time, which, of course, uh, after 1915 became the gateway community to Rocky Mountain National Park. Estes Park had African Americans in it, but they came usually as servants to white visitors or they worked in hotels and restaurants in Estes Park. And one of the express reasons why Lincoln Hills was founded was by people who said that they didn't feel comfortable or welcome in Estes Park, but they nevertheless wanted opportunities for outdoor recreation. And so Lincoln Hills was founded in direct response to to public lands and areas around them that were not were not welcoming and quite often were um, directly hostile. And I know when we talked before, you talked about the need to make these spaces even today more welcoming to diverse people. So they were founded with an idea of inclusion. And yet, because they were founded at a time of segregation and violence against black people and and other groups in the United States, the structures that came along with that exclusion have lingered. And they need to be systematically and deliberately undone today because they won't just go away all by themselves. So if you think about somebody who felt unwelcome in national parks in 1920, that gets passed on through generations. And things like interpretation and the uh, visual imagery in national parks and things like that, um, which portrays a experience that is assumed to be white, that has lingered down to the present day, and it needs to be deliberately dismantled. Now, are you aware of any current efforts to embrace more diverse cultures and diverse visitors in public lands in Colorado? Yeah, sure. So in Rocky Mountain National Park, um, you can you can see, again, the visual imagery of, you know, uh, junior ranger programs. There is an e- example of a uh, photograph at the Beaver Meadows Visitor Center that has a diverse display of junior ranger badge uh, kids being sworn in. And so 
you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, it would have been quite easy for those to be all white children and to have it be a more diverse crowd. I think that makes a difference. Um, Rocky Mountain National Park is also currently working with uh, the Center for the American West at University of Colorado to work with uh, Ute and Arapaho tribes to empower them to have more influence on the interpretation of the native past at Rocky Mountain National Park. So efforts are definitely afoot. There's more work to do, but we fortunately are taking some steps in the right direction. Judge Jackson, we all know of summer camp as somewhat of a rite of passage for many to have that time in the summer, to frolic and enjoy nature, and in some cases be away from your family and get to, you know, have a little sense of independence. Tell us about Camp Nizoni here in Lincoln Hills. I'll give you a nice uh, segue into that, and that's my mother. In 1939, when she was uh, approximately 13 years of age, she went to Camp Nizoni for a week. She came to Camp Nozoni on the dinky train from Denver to the railroad crossing right at South Beaver Creek Road and Highway 72. So she spent a week at Camp Nozoni. My mother diaried, and so she has diary notes at the age of 13 years of age of her week. She says that during that week, her dad sent her a letter with a dollar in the envelope so that she had a dollar to spend. And so she kind of smiles and says, well, there wasn't any place to spend a dollar, but I had an extra dollar while I was up at Camp Nazoni. So my mother went there. My Aunt Billy went to Camp Nazoni. And I had the good fortune of meeting one of the counselors at Camp Nazoni, Marie Greenwood. Uh, Marie Greenwood, who died at the age of 106, would have been a counselor at Camp Nazoni between 1925 and 1945, and she became one of uh, Denver's first black uh, school teachers. Now let's back up to explain Camp Nazoni, barred from sending girls to segregated YWCA camps, the Phyllis Wheatley branch of the Denver YWCA established Camp Nazoni on a piece of land donated by Lincoln Hills, and it operated until the YWCA integrated its facilities in 1946. And as we mentioned, Camp Nazoni campers were able to enjoy the outdoors, such as hiking, swimming, and cooking over open fires. And they were supervised by YWCA members. So again, another opportunity that had been restricted, but this place created an opportunity for these young people to enjoy the great outdoors. Once again, it's another example of what I say. We black people have often had to create our own. When we were barred or segregated from the white YWCA, we created a black YWCA so that we could have the same experiences that other Americans had that were white in color. So... Judge Jackson, you speak a lot about the opportunities that were created by Lincoln Hills, but it's a fact that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 opened new recreational opportunities to black people, drawing, you know, people to different properties. But in some ways that worked against places like Lincoln Hills. Can you comment on that? 
Well, I think that that is a fact because uh, as a result of various civil rights act uh, that dealt with public accommodations, black people could not only go to other recreational spots, they could utilize the roadways and highways of America that were not available to them during the Jim Crow period of time. And so the downside is that a place like Lincoln Hills lost its prominence when people could go to Glenwood Springs, Estes Park, uh, Uray, Colorado, other places, and were not required to just be situated in one place. But with Lincoln Hills, uh, also the downfall of Lincoln Hills occurred when Winks Hamlet, the owner, died in 1965. As the result of his death, his wife had to take over all the duties and responsibilities. And so it was not only the Civil Rights Act, but uh, the actual death of Winks Hamlet that caused the decline of Winks Lodge, Winks Tavern. But it has not caused the decline of those of us that own property in uh, Lincoln Hills and continue to utilize our properties. Jared, would you like to add anything to the discussion about how integration in many ways worked against some of these historic African-American institutions that thrived under segregation? Well, the logic behind them was to provide an alternative for opportunities that were not available to to them in places like Estes Park and uh, other resort communities in Colorado. And so to the extent that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the general civil rights era of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s made other places more open to the black community or gave the illusion that they were more open the founding logic of places like Lincoln Hills uh, became increasingly less compelling, even obsolete. And remember, these were also economic ventures. People were investing in land here and things like that. And so part of what's declining is the ability of places like Lincoln Hills to be good investments for the black community. Judge Jackson, you've devoted a portion of your life to really your... (laughs) Seems like your entire life, really, when you think about it, to keeping this history alive and um, wondering how does this opportunity to be featured at History Colorado's app, how does that, in your view, add to your goal? Well, it puts a smile on my face. I've always been very interested in history and the history of black people and the history of black people here in Colorado. I served on the board at History Colorado back during the time that uh, History Colorado was being built and situated at 12th and uh, Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is an honor for me to be involved in the app so that I can tell my story and my family's story about Lincoln Hills and the impact that Lincoln Hills has had on our nation's history. One of the stories um, that I always smile about was 2008, the Democratic National Convention, when Obama was uh, selected to be the presidential candidate. Well, uh, during that convention, we had a gathering at Zephyr View, and we were able to bring about 50 delegates from across the nation to a barbecue at our cabin so Mm. that they could experience 
Lincoln Hills, its impact on history, and how that impact on history eventually has led to the very first black president. Jerry, in closing, what do you want to leave people with in regards to Lincoln Hills? Well, first of all, I'm really glad that um, you and Judge Jackson have put Lincoln Hills on Coloradans' mental maps. Um, This is one of the great stories of Colorado history. So it's something that I want all Coloradans to know about. I teach about it in my classes, but that's 30 people a year. So... (laughs) And uh, more than anything, I just want people to know that Lincoln Hills is, it's a national story. It's, it's not just Gilpin County, it's not just Colorado, but it's a story of Americans who came to love and embrace outdoor recreation. Um, and it's a place where people who could not find that easily were able to find that. And I always go back to the photographs of the girls at Camp Mazzoni and just the infectious smiles on their <laughs> faces and how much fun they were having. And that always um, gets my historians uh, blood pumping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have looked so happy. I've seen the smile plastered across your face during this whole interview and tour. So thank you so much for joining us. Judge Jackson, final words. It's going to be very short. Lincoln Hills, Zephyr View Cabin is my family's American dream. Retired Denver County Judge Gary Jackson and former state historian Jared Orsi. You may learn more about Lincoln Hills and its historic impact on Colorado and America on History Colorado's Black History Trail app. History Colorado also has an exhibit called Lincoln Hills, Escape from Racism, as part of Black History Month. Special thanks to audio engineer Pete Kramer and Michael Hughes for today's show. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Uh,